Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. I'd like to begin with just a, a quick question for you guys. Um, how many of you have been hit up by those scammers, those robocalls, those people who are calling you and trying to get you to buy something or do something, and you know it's all, it's all completely wrong. If, this, if you've been hit by a robocaller or a scammer, whether it's through phone or email, just once this week, just put your hand up, would you? Okay. Uh, how about twice? Uh, three times. Okay, we're going to start having to try something different here, like seven, uh, ten. Oh, okay, I think I've made my point. Uh, scammers are hard at work, aren't they? They're trying to steal your money. They're trying to steal your identity. And now with the advent of the internet, they're especially hard at work. Because they can go like, from another country and try and scam you and try and steal things from you. The favorite uh, scam call that I get, it seems like I get one almost every week, is somebody who calls me and wants to offer to sell me an extended warranty on my vehicle. And if you know my vehicle, you know that's a scam. They do not sell extended warranty for 2003 trucks. It's obviously a joke. But I want you to know that while there are people that are working hard to scam you out of your money and to take away your identity, there's also people out there that are called spiritual scammers. If they could, they would take your very soul out of the hand of God himself, wanting to cheat you and steal from you and take you away from the truth. This morning, we are going to look at spiritual scammers. We're going to see how they work and how they deceive and what they want to do to you. That's what we're going to be studying this morning. Because just like we need to avoid those regular scammers, we need to learn how to avoid those spiritual scammers as well. That's almost like a necessary life skill to operate in this world. Today we're going to be back in 2 Timothy. And we've been gone from 2 Timothy for a while. Because last week we had Easter, which was a great time to celebrate Christ's resurrection. Before that, we had the triumphal entry in Palm Sunday. And before that, we had Pastor Paul Bowman from the district come in and speak. So it's almost been like an entire month since we were last in this book. Well, we had just begun 2 Timothy chapter 3. And what we're going to do is we had studied the first four verses about a month ago. We're going to study verses 5 through 9 today, but because we've been gone from this book for a little bit of time, I'm going to take a little time at the front end just to get us up to speed with what was happening in this chapter, and we'll sort of do a little bit of review through the first four verses to set us up for verses 5 through 9. So I'd like you to take out your copy of God's Word. I don't care if it's on a a paper Bible, electronic Bible, whatever you have. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to read together verses 1 through 9, even though our focus of our study will be on verses 5 through 9. And I'd like to ask you to stand out of reverence for the Word of God. Follow along with your eyes and your copy of God's Word as I read these first nine verses of chapter 3. But understand this, 
that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Always learning, but never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind, disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as that of those two men. That ends the reading of the word. You can be seated. These verses, they break apart nicely under, into three pieces. First, there is verse 1, which tells us we should expect spiritual scammers and religious scammers. They're coming. And then there is verses 2 through 4 that we really focused in on four weeks ago, which is how you can recognize a spiritual scammer by their character. What is their lifestyle like? And then there'll be verses 5 through 9 that we'll focus in most of this morning, which is how spiritual scammers work, how they go about their business. And just like we had to learn how regular scammers work with their phone calls and junky emails, we have to learn how spiritual scammers work so we can avoid their tricks as well. So let's begin. We'll look at verse 1 just to do some review at the front end here, as I promised you. The first thing we learn in this chapter in verse 1 is this. I should expect spiritual scammers will increase over time. But understand this, he says, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. And when we studied that verse about a month ago, I said there's key words we have to understand the meaning of if we're going to understand what Paul is saying. One of the first key words or key phrases we have to grasp is this term, the last days. Because as soon as we read this, we think, well, this must be some time in the distant future. This must be very close to when Christ returns, and it may never impact us in our lifestyle or our lifespan. But that's not actually the proper way to understand this. In the Bible, the Bible calls the last days the entire period of time from Christ's first coming until Christ's second coming. That means that today we are living in the last days. And just to demonstrate that to you, I gave you two little parts of Scripture that tell us that we are living in the last days. For instance, uh, Peter, in the book of Acts, he says this in Acts chapter 2, verse 17. The situation here is the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit comes, and Peter says this is fulfilling prophecy. And here's the prophecy he says it's fulfilling from the book of Joel. That in the last days, 
it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall see dream, shall, shall dream. And Peter says, this prophecy is being fulfilled today in the coming of the Holy Spirit. In the last days, Joel says, this is what will take place. So according to this verse, the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost took place during the last days. In addition, we see something very similar when you go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. Long ago, and at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, or it could be translated, but in the last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. According to the writer of Hebrews, when God stopped speaking to us through prophets and started speaking to us through his Son, that means we are in the last days. So this verse very much applies to us because we're in the the last days now. And what does he say about these last days? In the last days, he says, there'll come difficult times. And then you must understand this word difficult. It means hard. It can mean dangerous. In these, the last days, from the first coming of Christ to the second coming of Christ, it'll be difficult times for Christians. It'll be very difficult times for followers of Christ. The other thing we learned, and it's a very key thing to understand, is the word times. He'll say there will come difficult times. You need a little Greek to understand this, but that's okay. We're not afraid of these things. In the Greek, there are two different words for time. There's the Greek word chronos, from where we get our English word chronological. It means the simple consecutive passing of time with no moment is different than another. It's just like you staring at your watch after you started the timer. It just sort of goes. But there's another word that is used for time. It's the Greek word kairos. And kairos means significant time or important time. Sometimes we would use it uh, for the term seasons of time. For instance, we have good times called summertime. And then we have tough times. We call it winter time. They're, they're both time, but they're difficult. They're different. Some are, some are pleasurable and some are difficult. And what Paul is saying is that in the last days, in the time that we live now till Christ returned, there will be difficult times, difficult seasons. So sometimes there'll be great opposition for Christians in Christ, other times there'll be less opposition for Christians in Christ. And then it'll go back up, and there'll be more opposition, and then there'll be less opposition. We should expect that. That is the way it'll be until Christ returns. And we may not always know when it's going to change. Who would have suspected that two years ago that massive churches in California would not be meeting this morning? because of a stay-at-home order. Who would have expected that two years ago, the Supreme Court in our land, just this past week, was hearing a case to allow in California whether three families can get together in a home for home worship, or if that's an illegal gathering. Who would have suspected that? 
Expect those times will come suddenly and difficultly, and then they'll go away. And so it's a sort of a zigzag graph. But the other thing we need to know, and this comes from a little bit later on in the text. We haven't studied it yet. Uh, Paul also says this, While evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So the idea is these spiritual scammers and impostors who will oppress God's people won't just come and go and come and go, but they'll get more and more over time. So this will be a graph that continues to climb. It gets worse. And this is Paul writing 2,000 years ago. Think of how many scammers and deceivers have come since then. Think of how many spiritual scammers and deceivers are around now. And in your children's generation, and in your grandchildren's generation, guess what? There'll be more. Oh, at times it'll feel like it's going to get better because it'll decline for a while, but then it'll come right back up. That's just the way we should expect life will be until Christ returns. Then we get to verses 2 through 4, which we won't spend much time on because we spent time on that at length about a month ago, but I should mention it. He says this, I can recognize a spiritual scammer by their love for themselves. And it begins this in verse, begins this in verse 2. For people will be lovers of themselves. And that was the first quality that headed a long list of qualities, 18 total qualities that define the character of what spiritual con men look like. And lovers of self, it headed the list, because this is really a stoic vice list, if you call it that, and it also defines the general character of everything in the list. People who are lovers of self will have all these defining qualities about them. Let me just look at some of these. They will focus on themselves and loving themselves, not on loving their neighbor and serving their neighbor. Instead of loving people, they'll be known for using people. They'll be known for loving money instead of loving God. They'll be known for their boastfulness and arrogance rather than their humility. They'll be abrasive towards others instead of patient with others. Instead of honoring their parents, they'll be disobedient to their parents. They'll be ungrateful. Remember this, they won't send thank you notes. They'll be unappeasable, unwilling to compromise in a conflict. He says they'll be brutal, not gentle. All of these kind of qualities flow out of a heart that is filled with love for self. The sewer pipe of a self loving heart. So those are the character qualities that we can recognize in a person who is a spiritual scammer. Now let's move on this morning to the way these spiritual scammers work. So we can focus on understanding how they work so we can avoid their techniques in being led astray by them. And that's what we're going to do today. So point number three, how do spiritual scammers work? The first thing we learn is this. They peddle hollow religion. Verse 5. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. Spiritual scammers have the appearance, he says, of being a godly person. 
Some other translations say they have the form of godliness. The Greek word is morphos here, which means form. You ever heard of the English word metamorphosis, which means to change form? Well, that's where we get the English word metamorphosis from. The idea is these guys have the shape of godliness, the appearance of being godly. But the truth is it's all just a hollow shell. There's no spiritual substance in them. There is no spiritual life in them. In fact, they deny the very power of God that is the only thing that can change life. See, folks, the only way that your life can change, the only way that my life can change is not by the form of godliness, sort of like a form of worship. The only way our life changes is by engaging Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who changes our hearts. Jesus is the one who changes our life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Jesus is the one who makes us into a new creation. Going through religious rituals or worship or all this form of godliness, does not change a person. Jesus, my friends, is the only one who can change you. Think of it this way. Remember Paul, who when he was first known as Saul, persecuting Christians, assisting in the arrest of Christians, assisting in the murder of Christians, on the road to Damascus, who appeared to him and changed him? Jesus! Jesus changed his life. Jesus is what headed him in a completely different direction. Not spiritual forms, not spiritual rituals. All that stuff is the outer shell. Jesus is the one who changes hearts and life. And spiritual scammers, they don't focus on Jesus. They focus on outward rituals. They focus on outward techniques. But they don't focus on Jesus, who is the one that changes our hearts and changes our lives. If you know what spiritual scammers like to focus on, I'll tell you. They like to focus on what I call self-help religion. They'll They'll be cheerleaders. You can do it. You can try harder. You can fix yourself. You remember this famous, it's one of the most downloaded sermons on the internet by a, a guy who claims to be a Christian pastor. His, the title of the sermon is, Your Best Life Now. You can do it. No, you can't. That's why we have Jesus. Because we can't save ourselves. Because we can't change ourselves. That's why we focus on Jesus and we worship Jesus. Now, you want to see a spiritual scammer in action from this past week? I'll give you an example. Some of you guys have heard of a man named Adrian Warnock. You've probably heard about him on the news. He likes to call himself the Reverend Adrian Warnock. And he won, a, I think it's a Senate seat for Georgia. He's a, anyway, he had this wonderful tweet on Easter. So let me show you what his Easter tweet was. The meaning of Easter is more transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whether you are Christian or not, through a commitment to helping others, we're able to save ourselves. Excuse me? Are we off base? 
like way off base. He has the form of godliness, the shell of godliness, calls himself the reverend, but he denies the only thing that can change a person, which is Jesus Christ. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot change ourselves. By the way, uh, Paul writes about this very same thing to Titus. He says, these scammers with the shell of godliness as opposed to Jesus, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. I'd like to point out to you, you have to remember that Satan is very subtle. Satan does not effectively attack the church, usually from outside the church. His most effective attacks are from inside the church. He has people that are able to rise up in positions of power and an influence inside of Christ's church. And then they seek to lead people astray, usually by a self-help religion, with no focus on Jesus Christ as the only one who can change your life. Oftentimes, you'll see them wearing a clerical collar. They've got to play the part and look the part, the form of godliness, or a priestly robe. They have to look the part, a form of godliness, or they play the part academically. They have more degrees than Fahrenheit itself. So therefore, you should trust them. But they're not about Jesus. These are the people we should stay away from and avoid. In fact, that's Paul's instructions. When you see these kind of spiritual scammers who are focusing on outward ritual and telling you that you can save yourself, run from them, avoid them. In fact, the term here for avoid them is a very strong kind of term. It literally means to fear them, to have terror of them, to have horror of them. Because what they will do is try and worm their way into your life and then try and take you away from the Jesus who is the only one who can save you. I like the way that uh, the Apostle John writes about this in his letters. And he says this when it comes to the issue of hospitality towards these kind of people. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So he's very strong about avoiding people who are not keeping your finger in the text, who are not keeping your finger finger focused on Jesus Christ, but are just a shell of hollow religion. Now here's a little application for you I wanted to give you. How can I recognize a false teacher peddling hollow religion? Three things for you. Number one, check their character. Truth and godliness always go together. You can't have somebody who's preaching the truth and no godliness in their life. And if they are preaching the truth, you will see godliness in their character. You will see humility in their character. You will see others-centered focus in their character. But if they're not preaching the truth, they'll be addicted to self-love, addicted to gathering people to focus on them. Those are the people you want to stay away from. Don't just check their character, but check their teaching. Does it square with the Word of God? Or is it taking the Bible out of context? Oftentimes, these spiritual scammers, they're very good public speakers. They just don't like to keep their finger in the text. 
They don't like to teach the text. And when they do use the text, it goes as a little bit of salt or a little bit of flavoring thrown into what is really their message about themselves as opposed to God's message to us. Check their teaching. Last thing to tell you to check on is check their followers. What's the character of their followers' lives? And are they focused on the transforming power of Jesus and the Bible? Or are they focused on their spiritual teacher? A good spiritual teacher will point you to Jesus. And when you're with your friends, you'll talk about the Word of God. And you'll talk about the transforming power of Jesus Christ in your life. A bad spiritual teacher will leave you talking to your friends about what a great speaker that pastor is. What a great person my leader is. They don't change you. Only Jesus changes you. So, we've seen that we can recognize spiritual scammers because they have a form of godliness, but they deny the substance of Jesus Christ itself, which is the center and the changing power. The next thing we learn is this. They like to pray on the weak. Pray on the weak. Verses 6 through 7. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. So these guys, you recognize them, these scammers, because they want converts. And the first thing we see about them is they creep into households. This word creak, it means to wiggle or it means to, to worm. They get into households not by coming in and telling you up front what they're really all about. They come under the guise of something else. But then when they're in there, then all of a sudden they seek to develop a relationship with the people and they seek to slowly lead you astray. They're very dishonest by the way they do things. And the other thing we see is it says the word in here is capture. We're going to talk in a moment about how they like to capture weak women. But I want to focus just on the word capture because in Greek, this word capture means literally to take a prisoner of war, to enslave you. That's what the spiritual scammers are like. They sort of get into your house. They try and earn your trust. But it's not really because they're about being on your side. They're not about helping you focus on Jesus. They want to enslave you, take you away, and have you worshiping and following them. It's the way they work. Now, who is their primary target? He says here, their primary target, the favorite one to go after, are weak women. Literally, the Greek here is little women. And by the way, that is not a statement of their literal stature. That is a statement of their character. And before we get into this too deeply, so there is no misunderstanding here, because we live in a very pro-feminist society, he is not saying that all women are weak. There are many women who are strong in character, who are very godly in character. But he is saying there are some women who are weak, some women who are vulnerable. Some women who are easily led astray. And those are the ones the spiritual scammers love to prey on. Those are the ones the spiritual scammers like to go after. Now, how does this work? 
in this particular society, the men were usually working during the day. Many times there was women who were still home alone, and they didn't have television or the internet. So not nearly as much fun to do at home when you're stuck home during the day. What these guys would do, these spiritual scammers, is they would go house to house during the day, knocking on doors. They would sort of creep their way, remember, wiggle their way, worm their way into these households to women who are lonely, women who are vulnerable, women who just want somebody to talk to. And then they begin to earn their trust. And then they begin to take them away, sort of capture them, as it were. This is the way these guys like to work. And by the way, nothing has changed, has it? You ever seen some of those guys who are spiritual wackos with their programs on television? What time does it air? In the evening hours when everyone's home? In the daytime hours? When maybe there's women at home with nothing better to do than watch the television? Jehovah's Witnesses, when do they like to go door to door? In the evening hours when the men are around? No, usually during the daytime hours looking for a woman who's vulnerable, lonely, wants somebody to talk to, that they can get inside their house and worm their way in and wiggle their way in and try and earn their trust and deceive them away. Isn't this the same way that Satan tried it in the Garden of Eden? Let me see if I can get Eve. Let me see if I can worm my way into her heart, try and take her away and destroy the entire household. Now, there's a couple of things he tells us about the particular kind of weak women that he likes, that these men like to prey on. They go after women that are morally weak, he says. These are women that are burdened down with sins. Women that um, are filled with guilt. Women that are filled with shame. Women that are filled with regret of their past. These are the kind that spiritual scammers like to go after. A woman who is filled with guilt and shame and regret of her past, what she needs to hear is the gospel. She needs to hear that Jesus loves her. She needs to hear that Jesus died for her and to take away all of her sin and separated it from her as far as the east is from the west. And no matter what she has done, that Jesus loves her and will not turn away from her. That's what she needs to hear. But spiritual scammers don't tell her that. They come in and say, well, I I can tell you what the answer is. Follow me. I'm the one who will be your hero. I'm the one who will lead you to freedom. And I'm going to give you a whole bunch of things that you need to do. And that's the way they like to prey on these women. Instead of the gospel, spiritual scammers present themselves as the answer. Because they're in love with themselves. We learned that earlier. The other quality of the women they like to uh, go after is this. Paul says, women that are led astray by various passions. Literally, this means the kind of women who are used to following their feelings rather than thinking with their head. They can easily be led astray by their heart because they are not used to using their head to think situations through. Now, you and I know, let's just be honest, there are some women like that. 
that they just want to follow the feelings of their heart. That's the favorite one for a scammer. Incidentally, there, it's possible by the word passions here that there are some sexual uh, undertones that are going on here. Not necessarily true. It may be true. These scammers are trying to, in some ways, use their um, be seductive towards these women. We don't know. But either way, what's very clear is they prey on women who follow the feelings of their heart rather than want to follow the intellect of their brain. Also, it says they go after women, he says, that are intellectually weak. And uh, he says that by saying, the women who are always desiring to learn, but never able to arrive at knowledge of the truth. These are women who love the latest spiritual fads, but have never graduated to the point of saying, you know what I need? I don't need the latest conference. I don't need the latest book that my girlfriends are reading. What I need is Jesus in my Bible. They've never graduated to that particular point in their life, which is really the truth. It's like what you need is pure milk, the Word of God. Not that books and conferences are all wrong. There's nothing, I'm not saying they're wrong, and Paul wouldn't be saying they're wrong. But that can also become a cheap substitute for the truth. So praying on women who are in weak positions, vulnerable positions, that's Satan's strategy, and that is uh, the spiritual scammer's strategy. I want to point something out here. Hopefully I won't get in any trouble for it, but I'll just have some fun with it. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says this, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Peter says that a wife is the weaker vessel. That does not mean the inferior vessel. Understand this, a weaker vessel. The idea here is that needing some kind of protection. And by the way, I realized that uh, just recently. My daughter's in track and she likes to run, and I think, according as a proud father, that she runs really fast. And I was impressed with her times on the 200-meter dash and the 4 by 400 I'm like, man, she is fast. And then I saw the guys. And boy, are they fast. They are much faster than my daughter is or than my daughter ever will be. She's not an inferior vessel. She is just by nature, the way God built her, a weaker vessel. Now, as I was thinking about this, I remembered my grandmother, and I haven't told you much about her. My grandmother on my mother's side, uh, her husband passed away before I was born. So she was a, a widow, and she lived by herself in her house uh, until, until she passed away. She was a very accomplished woman, a, a very bright woman. She worked as a secretary for the president of a college and even into her retirement and passed in, like deep into her retirement. One of those kinds, you, they bring you back for multiple retirements. Um, I had the privilege, using the summer, of being able to stay with her for a week. And she was always so wonderful. One summer, I was probably about maybe 10 years old, upstairs in bed. And all of a sudden, I hear my grandmother screaming at a person on the phone at the top of her lungs. I've never heard that before. Not my sweet little granny. 
She's saying, you are taking advantage of an old woman who's in a vulnerable position. How dare you? I'm like, well, the deal was, is my grandmother had a furnace in her house. And the furnace never seemed to work. And so she called the furnace repairman who came in and repaired it, but it never worked after that. And then she'd call him again, and they'd repair it again, and they'd charge her again. And then it still wouldn't work. So she'd call him again, and they'd come right back. And Because in her generation, once you had a relationship with a repairman, you always continue with that repairman. She realized that they were just taking advantage of her and scamming her because she was a defenseless, vulnerable widow who knows absolutely nothing about heating and cooling. And she was angry. And they were taking advantage of her. Now, she's not an inferior vessel. Not at all. But she was in a vulnerable position, in a position of weakness. And she needed protection from people who were taking advantage of her, who were the scammers out there. And folks, uh, I think that's true. Husbands, you need to protect your wives. If somebody is trying to scam her, Dads, you need to protect your daughters if somebody is trying to scam her. Families, you need to protect your elderly relatives. Because if you have elderly relatives, and I have one in my house, they get scam calls all the time because they're the most likely ones to be scammed. But they're in a weaker and a vulnerable position. And the family's responsibility is to protect them. So I, you read to realize this is the favorite um, target of a scammer to go after these kind of people. Pray on the weak. Next thing we see is this. They actively oppose the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. So we've seen a, a spiritual scammer. They peddle a hollow faith, a hollow religiosity, devoid of Jesus, who is the only source of power. And we've also seen they prey on the weak. Here we see they actively oppose the truth. And to illustrate that, Paul brings out these two men called Janus and Jambres. And you're going, hmm, I've read my Bible before. I don't remember them anywhere in the Old Testament. And that's because you won't find them in the Old Testament. And the question is, who are these guys? I'll tell you where they come from. They come from the Jewish Targums. They come out of Jewish tradition. And here, the Holy Spirit, by inspiration, has inspired Paul to bring their names into inspired Scripture. So at least we know their names are true, and the particular part of their history that he is going to illustrate here is biblically true. We don't know if everything about them is true, but we know that at least slice of them is true. Here's who they were in the Jewish Targums. Remember when Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go, because God was taking the Israelites out of Egypt? Remember Pharaoh's magicians who opposed Moses? And in fact, even Pharaoh's magicians did the same kind of miraculous things that Moses did. Remember, Moses threw his staff on the ground and became a snake. But then Pharaoh's magicians did the same thing. And thankfully, Moses' snake ate the other ones. Janus and Jambres, by the Jewish Targums, were two of the chief magicians of Pharaoh 
who opposed Moses to Pharaoh's face and to Moses' face, and they did this counterfeit demonic magic to at least begin to um, counterfeit or copy the beginning of the miracles that God did through Moses. But you know the rest of the story. They couldn't keep up. They couldn't keep up with all that God was about to do. So that's who they were. A little bit more about Janus and Jambres, because in Hebrew, their names became synonymous with seduction and rebellion. Janus literally means seduction. Jambres means rebellion. So how did their names become associated with those two terms? It has to do with what happened in the rest of their lives, according to the Jewish Targums. When the Jews went out of Egypt triumphantly, Apparently, Janus and Jambres uh, pretended to become Israelites, pretended to convert to the God of Israel, and followed them and went out with them. And they followed along in sort of a covert manner with the Israelites until Moses went up to Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. Remember, he was gone for a long period of time, and then we find that God's people rebelled mightily at the base of the mountain. According to the Jewish Targums, Two men were instrumental in leading this rebellion and the building of the golden calf, besides Aaron. Janus and Jambres, which is why their names have become synonymous with seduction and rebellion, and that's why that's what they mean in Hebrew. Now, in the golden calf incident, they were eventually destroyed, is what the Jewish Targums say. Now, I don't know if the golden calf incident is right or true, but I do know that they were part of the magicians that actively opposed Moses. I'd like to make a point for you here. They're on the wrong team. They're a scammer. They're seducers and rebellers. But they were able to do counterfeit demonic manifestations, weren't they? Did you realize that spiritual scammers today false prophets, they may do things that look like acts of God. They may speak in tongues. They may have bogus miracles. Things will actually change, and they'll say, this is the reason you should trust me, because of these miraculous signs. No, you follow somebody because of Jesus not the miraculous signs. And just to prove this to you, look what it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 through 10. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, like Janus and Jambres before Moses, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. One last thing to give us here. It's very, this is the encouraging part. The progress of false teachers is always more apparent than real. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as it was, as was that of those two men. This is the good news. There's a lot of spiritual scammers out there, like Janus and Jambres were in front of Moses, But the good news is spiritual scammers will not get very far. 
It'll look like they're making a lot of progress, but they won't make a lot of progress because who they are will ultimately be revealed. Just some great verses from the Gospel of John. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Or John chapter 10, 27 through 29. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given to me, them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. Spiritual scammers and deceivers will not be able to trick and deceive ultimately God's elect. Jesus is not just the one who saves us, but Jesus will be the one who will preserve us and ultimately enable us to see the truth of a scammer and to avoid the lies of a scammer. Well, will scammers still hurt the church? Yep. Will they work on inside the church and cause havoc in the church? Oh, yeah. But if Jesus is the one who elected you, Jesus is the one who chose you, and Jesus is the one who ultimately saved you. Jesus will be the one who will preserve you, and he'll be the one to ultimately reveal these scammers for who they really are. And everyone will see the foolishness of their ways. Just to emphasize that point, coming from Mark chapter 13, verse 22. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs. There it is again the miraculous side, and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But it is not possible to lead the elect astray. Difficulties, doubts, struggles, yes, but ultimately deceived to destruction, no. And by that we are encouraged. Here's some applications for you I put into our outline. Number one, remember that we are in a spiritual war. Expect false teachers will surface in the church and will undermine confidence in the Bible and in the transforming power of Jesus. They will want us to worship them instead of Jesus. But remember, the only real power of God is found in Jesus and no place else. Everything else is a hollow shell of religion. Number two, be discerning of the pastors and teachers we follow. Many false teachers are gifted public speakers. Let me tell you that. They are good at drawing a crowd. And as we learn, they may even have some supernatural manifestations that accompany their teaching. But if they're not pointing people to Jesus, if they're not faithfully teaching from the written word so that you encounter Jesus, the living word, stay away. They're seducing you. Number three, Holiness helps us discern truth from error. False teachers' favorite targets are people, as we learned, burdened down with sin. The more we tolerate sin in our lives, the less ability we have to be able to discern truth from error in our lives. We learned that with preying on weak and vulnerable women who are laden down with sins, he said. And number three, remember that Jesus wins in the end, doesn't he? The progress of false teachers is always more apparent than real. Just as the true character of Janus and Jambres was eventually revealed, 
God promises that false teachers will eventually have their true character revealed because God will always preserve his church and protect his church because the elect will not be led astray. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we often forget that we are in a war and there are many covert operatives out there false teachers and deceivers who try and get in the church and wear clerical robes and wear religious collars and try and deceive your people and lead them astray. Lead them away from you, Jesus Christ, who is the only one who can change us and the only one who can sustain us. I pray that at Crosswinds, we would always be like a a beacon on a hill, pointing people to you, Jesus, preaching faithfully the life-changing power of the gospel and the transforming message of Jesus. I pray that we would always have our finger in the text because the Word of God is what you use to produce life and sustain life in us. Make us a discerning people so we are careful about the teachers that we follow. Not just following those who uh, may be gifted speakers and Um, gifted at playing on our emotions. But may we follow those who turn us and teach us about you, Jesus, because you're the only one who can change us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at ChristToOurCulture.com. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.